Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Drive Home Movies, a film analysis and movie review podcast where we take a look at the newest releases through, by default, a queer lens. This is your host, Sumner Morimenio, and if you listened to the last episode covering uh, Scream 2022, then you know how much I love Wes Craven and the Scream franchise, and because of that, I'm having a bit of difficulty saying goodbye and moving on. It just didn't feel right to cover the Scream franchise and then the new movie and then say bloop, that's it. Um, and so instead of covering Craven's entire career, focusing on his big hitting movies that have been covered to death, I thought it would be interesting to cover one of his movies that doesn't get as much love as, say, Scream or... Nightmare on Elm Street or Last House on the Left. Today we're covering, I believe, was Wes Craven's last great new movie before he passed away in 2016, 17? Anyways, by new movie I mean, you know, he did Scream and uh, Scream 4 in uh, 2011, but that was already a franchise, so um, I mean his last great original movie. A movie that shied away from monsters and murderers and focused more so on psychological fears that paralyzed so many of us in the early 2000s and for many of us still today. Today I'm joined by another special guest and also my best friend for the past two decades and we're going to cover Wes Craven's 2005 psychological thriller, Red Eye. Are we like podcasting right now? (laughs) (laughs) Are we just talking? Hi. (laughs) And welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, say like, hey, I'm Sumner. This is Drive for Movies. And today I'm joined by my best friend of 18 years. Um, I can't say that without laughing. So I'm just going (laughs) to record it after. I mean, we knew this would happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. I could have predicted. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so my name is Hillary Brockfeld. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's in social work. Um, I'm certified in cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm currently working on becoming a certified trauma clinician. Um, I've worked as a therapist with populations who have experienced trauma and are survivors of assault, as well as being a survivor myself. So for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, definitely be aware this movie contains those themes. So fair warning. Perfect. That was perfect. And explained perfectly, you know, um, like it sounds obvious, like I just said, like, why I'd want to approach this movie from a psychological um psychoanalysis kind of perspective but i okay so i I guess i want to start here um so you think of psychological horror or thrillers today and this is something i didn't even realize till like i started really thinking about this movie think about what they are today and what this movie is (laughs) and i would never put hereditary and red eye in the same yeah. conversation <laughs> Very different it movie. was just fascinating to see how much uh 
movies have changed over the past 15 years. Um, so uh, psychoanalysis in terms, I guess, of character rather than the actual plot or story. Mm -hmm. um, but before we really get into it, how big of a movie fan are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I love movies. I have been watching them all my life. I guess, I don't know. I love movies. And I love the conversations that they can uh, bring up and the topics that they can address and the perspectives that they can, perspectives that they can shed light on. A little deeper into that, what's your relationship to horror? Spooky. <laughs> um, I, I like the feeling of being scared. And I don't know if this is just because of the it's fact that I, <laughs> that I have struggled with anxiety for the majority of my life and being scared in a situation like a movie or like Halloween Horror Nights or like a situation like that, it puts like an obvious reason for your anxiety when you're like experiencing that feeling like, why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling like this? anxiety is unmanageable and then like you put it you put on a scary movie it like justifies that feeling in a sense so I guess that's like initially why I got into it that makes perfect sense I'm in that boat too I forgot to tell you earlier my dad asked me <laughs> when we were mm. on vacation um well, first off, I told you he tried talking to me and challenging me about West Side Story and found out he didn't see yeah. the new one. And I was like, okay, I'm not talking to you until <laughs> you've seen the new one. <laughs> but he asked me at one point, because I don't know, I, I brought up a movie or something. And he said, what is it with you and the whore? Like, what is it? Like, what about it? <laughs> and like all these movies. And I, I, I told him. now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's because like, like he's always known I liked it, but I guess he didn't know to what extent. And then I started podcasting and blah, 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 which I'm surprised he hasn't asked sooner because he's really the one that got me or made me realize I really like movies. Um, but I told him that like that was one of the reasons anxiety, but more so just um, the way, and this is a good example with this movie, the way horror and even comedy, hor horror and comedy like go hand in hand, I think to some extent. Yeah. Horror, is a genre that's able to explore things like trauma or grief things where you know in a in a drama movie or something it would be like Heavier. too much yeah but like in a horror movie they reframe it in a much more digestible way and they add supernatural elements or something or you know to make it more digestible um and in that way I think it's a beautiful thing and in this case it's a movie about someone who's gone through shit, but it's also a fun movie, which sounds weird, but like, whatever. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> do what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that perspective, actually. So how familiar are you with Wes Craven's movies or uh, Scream, actually? Because believe it or not, I am absolutely gonna link this movie back to Scream. <laughs> 
Um, so I have not seen the new Scream. It has been a very long time since I've seen the original Scream. Wes Craven, I know you're a huge fan. Um, that's about all I know. <laughs> In 14 seconds or less, give us a brief synopsis of Red Eye. Are you oh. ready? Are you ready? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Are okay. you ready? One, two, three, go. Okay, it's about this woman who's gone through a lot of trauma and grief, and she gets on this flight with this crazy Jack Ripner guy who's like this <laughs> um, Cillian Murphy with pink lips, and, <laughs> and he tries to like get her to change a hotel reservation for this politician, or else he's going to kill her dad. Or someone's going to kill her dad. That's 14 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> it was like 24, but that's okay. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> so I was a little surprised when you asked me to do this movie with you. Because I, I wasn't even like a big fan of it. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was really stupid, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> like, I, I realize it's a work of fiction. It's definitely... <laughs> But like Cillian Murphy, like his plan to like <laughs> target this politician is so complicated. Like it doesn't, why, like, why, why would you stop this woman? I took notes. He stalked her for eight weeks before. <laughs> Getting on the plane it with was, her. It wasn't his plan. He works for the guy who made the plan. But yeah, it's, it's, I'm not going to argue that it's kind of a ridiculous plan. Yeah. Um, and like they're on the plane. I don't know. <laughs> so I asked you, I think, because 2005 was a really good year. <laughs> and we we were friends then and I guess I just associate that time with I don't know I guess this movie and then I just assumed well you like mean girls (laughs) (laughs) I I thought we all liked it I mean okay that's fair and like (laughs) honestly after watching it again and kind of coming at it with like a from like a clinical lens like I realized like the movie is less about his like stupid plan and like (laughs) ridiculousness and more about her like I feel like this is a redemption story oh that's a very good point yeah that's a very good point I have somewhere that it 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 almost takes on like a character study sort of movie so like compare that to like character study I mean like the uh Saint Maude or like Joker Mm -hmm. like those are really good like examples of like character studies and this is almost like a dual character study but like gets nowhere as deep as either of the movies I just mentioned (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but I like that redemption story. Yeah, I mean, like Rachel McAdams in the beginning, you know, she's obviously 
just dealt with like going to her grandmother's funeral and like the anxiety and pain and sadness from that. Then she gets on a plane, which she's afraid of flying. There's like, she's already like heightened anxiety. She's nervous. She's a self-described people pleaser. We can see that like with her phone call in the beginning to work with Charlotte, whatever her name is, who works there. And she like solves the problem. She caters to like the picky, privileged hotel guests that they have at their like fancy hotel <laughs> they're my favorite characters. <laughs> what they're my favorite characters <laughs> don't tell us to calm down <laughs> she's like don't say that <laughs> <laughs> cynthia it's cynthia not cynthia. <laughs> she says no, no no cynthia don't tell him to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're like calm down <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but yeah, so we see that. We see, you know, after that lady, and this is actually my favorite part, when the lady spills coffee on her, he's like, Marty, go back to Starbucks. I need another mocha. <laughs> yes, I love that part. And then she like goes in the bathroom to change her shirt. And we see that she has like this scar on her chest. Mm-hmm. It's a really I don't know, badly made scar. I thought it was like, what did she like cut herself or something? (laughs) I remember thinking that my first time, but watching it again, I realized maybe it's like a fresh scar. Yeah. So it was still, yeah. She says like how long ago the assault happened in the movie. I don't remember. I think it it was definitely within a couple years. Yeah. And like her dad keeps asking her, you know, are you okay? I know you hate asking, but are you okay? And like, she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like she gets pissed when people ask her if she's okay. Like she's just not emotionally ready to get into that or even address the fact that she might not be okay. A lot of suppression, um, which kind of goes along with like the people pleasing personality trait. Okay, that makes sense. Well, I wrote down boss bitch vibes right off the top many times. (laughs) But yeah, the people pleasing, I definitely obvious. And with her dad asking her if she's okay, that along with that, what I noticed was um, her bedroom still being like, (laughs) not even still made up, but it was like, it looked like perfect. Yeah. And she wants him to get rid of that, but he refuses. I wasn't sure if there was like a connect to those two ideas or if that was just a simple side note of a paternal relationship. Well, it definitely seems like she's retracting from like the love that he's trying to portray to her. Um, I don't know if she's, just uncomfortable with it maybe she's uncomfortable with the idea of letting herself be comfortable you know especially with her job and her history you know waiting for the other shoe to drop is a pretty common like mentality for someone who has experienced especially um, multiple episodes of trauma all right I mean we'll probably circle back to her but do you want to move on to Killian Murphy yeah. Because I want to. <laughs> okay, so I gave you, 
I gave you kind of a heads up with sending you pictures of his mouth. <laughs> but what I really want to talk about is my favorite character aside from the two douchebags at the hotel. But that's Killian Murphy's eyebrows. <laughs> Because if you look, they are from far away when there's like a light, (laughs) when there's the light hitting up here, it looks like super like pointed, like thin eyebrows. But when it's zoomed in, they look like bushy fucking caterpillars. (laughs) I did not notice that. And I'm like an eyebrow person. Like. Yeah, I did not notice that. One thing I did notice is how pink his lips are. <laughs> like, I get it, actors wear makeup, but that is like, those are some pink fucking lips. <laughs> like, somebody put on like some major lipstick there. Maybe he just has nice pink lips. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he does. Like, good for him. <laughs> He definitely brought out his his blue eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and you already said that you think this movie is absurd. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember? The first time I saw it, like, I I didn't like it. Like I said, I (laughs) did not like it. The first time I saw it, I was like, this movie is ridiculous. I mean, like, obviously we've addressed it's a work of fiction. But in my mind, like, it's somewhat rooted in, in reality. And, like, this guy's plan doesn't make any fucking sense like (laughs) especially like on a plane like he's using all of these buzzwords like you know if you tell the um flight attendant your father dies and kill this kill that blah blah blah. and then like he literally fucking headbutts her in the middle of the plane like both of their heads are bleeding and no one around them even (laughs) it's a red eye they're all sleeping Well, like he headbutts her. Like, why? What? <laughs> Not everyone can be sleeping that soundly. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can keep going. <laughs> no, you've made your point. <laughs> I guess in terms of like a horror movie or something, especially Wes Craven, I can forgive things like that and just enjoy it for the for what it is. You know, I think. Yeah. In some, in a lot of horror movies, especially horror movies prior to 2010, someone's gonna trip and fall. <laughs> you know, and you can't get There's mad a lot at of it. Tripping and falling. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get mad at it. You just have to like. That's just what it is. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I guess like his whole, like the whole movie is kind of wrapped around hit this plan to assassinate this guy if you're a professional assassin or whatever and this is your best plan like you're not (laughs) (laughs) okay yes but I do think the way they got the fucking like missile honestly it looked like a bazooka when I first saw it I remember yeah (laughs) the way they got it onto the boat and stuff I thought was pretty clever yeah that's that's fair but to your point why are you going out into the water and shooting someone with a missile and blowing up half a hotel when you could just that's gonna draw so much attention (laughs) (laughs) and she actually says something at one point she's like 
Well, oh, when she finds out, um, like his whole family is going to be taken out, and she freaks out, and he's like, "Oh, if somebody wants to send a big brass message, like that's on them." Yeah. And like, all right. Well, you sent your message. <laughs> <laughs> when I watched it again recently, because you asked me to. Um... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Um. But yeah, I kind of, the more I thought about it, the less focus I put on the whole plan, which was really honestly messed with the whole movie for me. Um, And decided to focus more on Rachel McAdams' character and like her character arc, I think makes the movie. Absolutely. Um, I agree. Her character like I said, boss bitch vibes, blah, blah, blah. And she like owns it. And there's that switch, like as soon as they get up into the air and you could even like literally draw it out, like, like a hill, like her arc, like that switch where she's like more vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. And then that peak. And as soon as they land, it's like full turnaround. Um, Like, I know you asked me to kind of talk about the fight flight freeze fawn trauma responses and it's I mean as I was watching it's a bit of a stretch but I think she kind of goes through every one of those responses throughout the movie fight being her last response when he's she stabs him in the windpipe (laughs) with a pen (laughs) Um, and she like talks about you know I was assaulted in broad daylight he held a knife to me the whole time and um and there's one thing that like came from that for me and like he kind of rolls his eyes and he's like what that it wasn't your fault which like okay yeah that's true like it, it obviously isn't her fault but she's like no that it would never happen to me again you know, that's some, that's a thought that I think a lot of trauma survivors have. Like, I will never let this happen to me again. Um, I, w- I want to point out part, which was such a beautiful shot. And it's like little things like this that Wes Craven did that are just like, like even in this movie and all of its stupidity, the, there's this little shot and it's half a second and it's when they land and right before she gives that spiel, about what happened to her she takes off her seatbelt, and then she says like she like tells her story of like assault mm-hmm. and I thought that part was so um just beautiful it's so good yeah I mean so much loaded in that little second shot there is there is and especially like being on a plane and not being able to do anything you know, she's kind of, she's stuck there on that plane, which is such a terrifying concept. She has no control over anything that's happening. And I think, you know, that's kind of a common fear for all of us, you know, that lack of control in a, in a terrifying traumatic situation and how she kind of like, in a way takes her power back, you know, when, when she stabs him <laughs> and um 
<laughs> literally like when they're yelling like is there a doctor on board we need a doctor and like the doctor comes and he's like oh it's just a punctured windpipe no no big deal <laughs> he just like wraps a scarf around it like i'm good <laughs> <laughs> it made me think do you remember anaconda with j-lo yeah do you remember at the end they had to cut the guy's windpipe and put a straw in it so he could breathe yes yeah that's what I thought and only for that reason I bought this I was like okay I believe that (laughs) (laughs) only because of anaconda though (laughs) (laughs) did I did I ever tell you this (laughs) this good side my dad's friend who saw J-Lo at at the mall once (laughs) oh the val harbor mall in miami super fancy and he sees jayla this was a while ago and (laughs) my dad's friend is a he's a dick but he's he's a funny dick he goes up to jayla and he says excuse me she she just she, she doesn't even like i don't know she's just like yeah and he says i just want to let you know you were robbed and she said oh oh he's like that award should have gone to you anaconda best (laughs) (laughs) and she just started nodding back and said oh you're funny (laughs) you're you're a funny guy aren't you (laughs) 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 anyways um where were we what were we talking about before we oh the 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 (gasps) (laughs) the way that he wheezes and like he's like holding his neck so around (laughs) (laughs) that frankenstein pen i think is on purpose just because Mm. well west craven is very particular but frankenstein is like the most classic story of like the monster isn't the monster the people are the monster you know and something that most of Wes Craven's movies deal with is that idea. You know, we have Jason or Michael Myers as these supernaturally strong forces. And people put Freddy in that category, but Freddy talks a lot. Uh, sometimes he won't shut the fuck up. And this uh, <laughs> humanizes him as much as he is a monster living in uh, kids' imaginations. And we know we we know he was a person with an awful history as a child abuser. And then um, years later in Scream, Ghostface, as we all know, is a very real person too, who trips and falls and is scary, but is still very human. And here we have Jack Ripner, kind of a (laughs) stupid fucking name, but (laughs) (laughs) who's, he's painted out to be as this high paid, like dirty businessman who's not afraid to get involved with assassinations, but at the end, when he gets stabbed in the trachea or whatever, he turns into this wheezing creeper monster whose job <laughs> turns personal. So yeah. you feel like that urge to hurt her. And that's what I think uh, pushes him into this monster territory. But it definitely, there's a weird tone in this movie when it's playful but scary but it is fun I think like bringing up um the whole Jack Ripner thing 
obviously that's not an accident. Like, <laughs> and I think oh, yeah, like, yeah, addressing yeah. the misogyny in this movie, you know, he says a few, few yes. times, like, um, you know, let's focus on like the male based fact driven logic. And it's like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he, I wrote and like part down. of me wonders like, with this name, Jack Ripner, is that supposed to allude to maybe the fact that maybe he wants to include women in, in these grand assassination attempts? Like maybe he enjoys that a little bit, having power over someone. Absolutely. Um, and he he says things like that like multiple times. The yeah. whatever female-driven hormone yeah logic you're using and then he says that we have to use like man fact-based whatever but his his um personality in this whole thing it's literally like the timeline of the movie is like an abusive relationship condensed into like yeah Yeah. the duration of the movie because he's so charming at first he is He's so charming, which uh, just speaks on Killian Murphy's like acting because before this, he was in, I think it was before this, 28 Days Later, which is a scary movie, but he's mm-hmm. like, he's the hero guy in it and you love him, or at least I do. And he's kind of sexy, full nude shot, like in the beginning, by the way, too. <laughs> oh. But then like this and Batman Begins when he plays the scarecrow, he plays a villain so fucking well, too. But yeah, and back to like the whole abuse thing, he says um, he's like gaslighting her at one point, like stop gambling with your dad's life. Like it's like it's her fault. And then at one point um, she says, like, how do I know like your guy's not going to kill my dad? Like after I made the call and he says he's a good dog. He only responds to his master's voice. Very, very sociopathic. Very. Yeah. And that like ownership mentality or dynamic too. Absolutely. I talked about um, how horror movies kind of, they they reflect like what's happening in society at the time. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I mean, they even mention it in the movie. Um, like this is a very sensitive time in our country. Like, mm-hmm. and then, you know, she writes like 18F has a bomb on the, mirror yeah like I see how like the fear of being stuck on a plane and a bad situation is happening and there's literally nothing you can do nowhere you can go you're stuck that's terrifying I get that so I have some numbers here in 2005 uh Red Eye made about 60 million during its run at the box office Critics called it the best blockbuster of the summer. It currently has an 80-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. United 93 made half that, uh, about 30 million during its run at the box office. That's like a 90-something on Rotten Tomatoes. And yet, it seems like it came and went and was barely talked about. And at the time, and with time, it never grew either. And I guess the same could be said for Red Eye, but I think the difference in numbers can be pointed to two obvious things. The reality of each plot and the disconnect of each plot. Um, So United 93 was like a docu-fiction drama movie based on the very real events uh, from a few years prior. Red Eye is a summer blockbuster directed by, you know, Wes Craven. 
um, that takes place primarily on a plane and deals with very isolated terrorism. Okay, so I was on the plane when I was writing these notes. <laughs> I was scared to write, I was scared to write terrorism on the plane. So I spelled terrorism T E R Z M tourism. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking the lady behind me was looking. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I isolated terrorism where like, it's not like a catastrophic thing affecting thousands, millions of people. It's, you know, they're just targeting the one guy. The question is, can you give insight or why do you think people would feel so inclined to see a thriller that tiptoes around these fears, doesn't address them directly, as opposed to a movie that's a literal depiction? of the events that happened a few years before. When did that movie come out? So I never saw it. The United. Oh, I mean, you don't, I mean, you can, if you want, you don't have to, it's literally just like what happened the morning of 9-11 on um, flight 93. Um, It came out less than a year after uh, Red Eye. I want to say Red Eye came out May or June 2005. United 93 came out less than a year, but in 2006. So they're around the same time. I mean, I just feel like it's too real. Like a lot of people are still dealing with like the grief and the trauma and like the shock of what happened on 9-11. Um, so like having that real depiction might just be like too heavy for some people. And obviously like red eyes is very fictional, um, <laughs> really campy, um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to use the word fun, but it's less intense. I wouldn't be offended if you said fun because I have <laughs> a couple <laughs> notes down. It's talking about how fun this movie is (laughs) it's like spooky but it's so fun yeah there are definitely (laughs) out loud moments for me (laughs) part of me wonders uh why that made so much less money than this did less than a year later you know in horror movies like there's such a common theme of having you know a female um victim or survivor or whatever. Um, And I think that as a society, we're pretty comfortable with that theme. I wanna, so his character, I wanna connect back to Scream and it it kind of um, plays into that abuse dynamic too. Um, So he has like the structure of ghost face kind of in the beginning of Scream. So like, I don't know how well you remember the opening scene of the first screen with Drew Barrymore, but Ghostface, he calls up and says like, oh, sorry, wrong number, blah, blah, blah. Who is this? And he's very flirty and almost sexy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just called Ghostface sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like, do I want to know? Okay, I'll talk to you. And she even does that at one point. She like looks over at him at the bar and she's like, okay, I'll sit with you. Yeah. And he engages her. And something that happens in Scream is he starts saying these slight things that are uncomfortable. And then it's uncomfortable. And it's like, what did you just say? 
And then he's like, no, never mind. No. And then go back to being uncomfortable until all of a sudden you realize, like, you don't even realize where the switch happened. But all of a sudden, this person is being invasive and intimidating. And then it goes into a full blown, in the case of Scream, full blown, you know, murder spree. Or in this case, it goes into full on admitting, like, no, I'm actually setting up an assassination and I need you to do this for me or I'm going to kill your dad. Like, he turns off that charming switch, like, so suddenly. it's just, it's so terrifying. Like you can see it in his facial expression. Like when that sociopath is ready to rear his head, like, (laughs) like, oh shit. (laughs) And he does it, uh, he does it as they're taking off and she thinks it's like him comforting her. And so that it, it establishes that trust again. And then it's as soon as they're in the air and like leveled out and she's like, oh, thank you. And then he's like, no, I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she doesn't even notice. He says, um, you know, when she's having like that, ang- like heightened anxiety taking off and the turbulence and he says her grandmother's name and she never mentioned her grandmother's name. And she's in that state of heightened anxiety. She doesn't even notice. Oh my God. I never realized that. <laughs> That's so spooky. I know. <laughs> I never realized that. Oh my God. Good catch, good catch, good catch. Thanks. So I was talking earlier about United 93 as this kind of well-received movie, um, but it didn't do well and then it was kind of forgotten over time. And I think to a point that could even be said for Red Eye and how Red Eye is almost like a forgotten movie as well, even though it has great reviews and Wes Craven and the actors and blah, blah, blah. And I think that might have to still do with the fear of flying. Um, there's even that the one part. Um, so this was three and a half, a, a few years after 9-11. And the, the fear of flying is still very evident in this movie, still is today. Um, I don't know if you remember, there's this one part who the actor was actually the kid in the, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which was kind of funny. Um, the little girl who's flying alone no no no. the, the two oh. guy characters the one of them had the pen that's like drawing in the notebook the whole time oh oh my god I didn't know that um so when they take off it's it's just a plane taking off yeah <laughs> oh we're gonna die we're gonna die. <laughs> he says we're not gonna make it <laughs> and there is like this menacing zoom shot for no reason <laughs> There's no reason for the shot <laughs> other than that taking off in a plane is a fucking terrifying. Yeah. And it zooms up the rows and everyone's like <gasps> <laughs> So I, I think like that fear of flying has touched so many of us. <laughs> um it's very relatable. <laughs> so horror at the time was very much focused on focused. Focused. <laughs> it was very much focused on the Splat Pack crew, uh, which is like uh, Eli Roth and Zombie. Um, for movies like Hostel and Devil's Rejects, stuff like that. Um, maybe sort of subconscious response to the war torture videos that were surfacing. And then eventually that time we had a lot of invasion horror and doomsday stuff, which was again, a response to fear of 
terrorism. Um, but I think the setting of Red Eye itself, and this is just me again trying to relate it back to United 93 and just 9-11 in, in general again, but I think the setting of Red Eye was just too real. Um, I can't think, I, there. there's like that Jodie Foster movie, Flight Plan, was it? Oh, I never saw that one. I saw it like once. It was okay, but like it took place on a plane, but it had more to do with is Jodie Foster crazy? Did she ever have a daughter on the plane? And then we have like snakes on a plane, which is, <laughs> you know, this movie balances, Red Eye balances like camp and horror, but like snakes on a plane is full on horror. Hi, this is Sumner from the future. And I'm editing right now and just realized I said, Snakes on a plane is full on horror. And, uh, well, that's obviously not what I meant. What I meant to say is, Snakes on a plane is full on camp. And, uh, fun fact Samuel L. Jackson only took that movie because he convinced the producers to keep the title as Snakes on a Plane. I guess they wanted to take it into a more serious, uh, uh, title direction. And Samuel L. Jackson said, no, that's ridiculous. Keep the title as is. It fits the tone fine, and I'll do the movie. And then he did. Anyways, um, where were we? But like this movie, like dealt with terrorism and stuff, and was set on a plane. And for that reason, I think it was too real, still, in comparison to the other movies I just mentioned. And I feel like that was that probably has to do with why people weren't or still don't want to acknowledge it or something. This so movie fun. feels so <laughs> 2005. <laughs> it does, especially like that was Rachel McAdams like prime. Prime. She was, I just watched, um, actually, you know what? I, I just want to say really quick. I remember um, going to the movie theater and before this movie came out and I saw the poster for this movie like one of those big like cutout ones and I remember just the poster of it made such an impression to this day one of my favorite posters ever oh. and it doesn't show anyone's name or face it's just a kind of zoom in on like the armrest and I think it's Rachel McAdams hand like clutching the armrest and Cillian Murphy's hand on top of hers Ooh! and you there's just like so much tension in this like vignetted shot and then it has just red eye and like bold red letters like on top of I it like that. oh my god it's so so simple but like yeah I get it yeah 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 but I, I'm sure it did say like Rachel McAdams Killian Murphy at the top because this was right after Let's see, when did Mean Girls come out? <laughs> I mean, like, there was The Notebook, Mean Girls. It was, okay, Mean Girls was 2004. Okay, so Mean Girls and The Notebook had already happened, and then she did this. Yeah. Um, Gillian Murphy. I would love to see is her as Regina in... <laughs> <laughs> Killian Murphy would try talking to her once and she would be like, um, why are you talking to me? And the movie would end. Fucking <laughs> <I'm> freak. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I am 
not sitting next to you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... She'd be in first class. So the movie, it has a weird balance of suspense and fun. And I think a lot of horror movies at the time, especially from the early 2000s, I think of like Final Destination is probably the best example I could think of aside from like a torture porn movie from this time that feels like upsetting horror, horror, but with this sort of like young adult funness to it like this was definitely made in a time when American Pie 2 was exciting <laughs> okay that puts me into perspective a little bit <laughs> um so you already said you think it's ridiculous but do you think it holds up um no <laughs> no I don't <laughs> You hate this movie. I don't. I don't hate it. Like I said, I did hate it. I did oh, hate okay. it. Um, right. No, I don't think it holds up because honestly, like at this point, like with the camera phones and everything and like all she had to do was be like, this guy's fucking threatening me, everyone. <laughs> and then they would land the plane like somebody would call the cops, they would go over to the dad's house, they would get the guy, the political candidate or whatever, into safety. And Cillian Murphy would be like, well, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, the guy eating noodles. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I put that that in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) Like that first little scene where they're going up and down the aisles and she's like trying to find her seat and they flash in on like all of the really undesirable people to sit next to <laughs> on a long flight <laughs> the guy with the noodles who else was it can you just okay I want to tell our story our story <laughs> our story <laughs> our story because I knew I was going to be doing this episode with you and <laughs> As soon as I saw the guy eating noodles, I thought about when we were flying back um, a few months back and we didn't get our food at the restaurant in time. Oh, so, we brought- <laughs> so we brought like hot veggie burgers on the plane. Everyone could smell them. It wasn't good because airplane smell with hot food smell is never good. But I was so hungry. <laughs> That as soon as I saw that guy eating the fucking gross noodles, I thought, oh my God, that's me. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) Because I ate my hot, stinky uh, veggie burger on the plane and you didn't. I didn't, right? No, you didn't. (laughs) 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 Uh, Okay, something that is really interesting in this movie and. kind of like that time difference talking about if it holds up so Keith the politician guy his name is Keith what kind of name is that mm-hmm. um he sent quote-unquote shockwaves at a press conference conference recently and they they showed a clip I didn't even know what the fuck he was talking about oh I don't even remember he that ends part. it going like looking into the camera saying do I have your attention oh wait yeah <laughs> I do remember that um I thought it was awesome to look back in 2005 at this like controversial and dividing like politician 
and like <laughs> and Rachel McAdams character is like he's political she doesn't defend him she doesn't advocate for him even though he's a quote-unquote controversial politician she's just like it's whatever like it's not like it's making headlines but it's not like a dividing like fucking ordeal as opposed to something uh today (laughs) where (laughs) if something was deemed as controversial today it would be so divisive well she also mentions like oh she like she they know each other you know she's set up his his rooms at like her hotel for a number of yeah he's like a regular there yeah he, he always has this particular room that he goes to yeah so she sees him as more of like a personal acquaintance rather than a controversial figure maybe yeah that's true that's true well we talked a lot about her character but in terms of like a movie or film analysis thing one thing I noticed was when like we know how sets work like they're not actually like sitting in a plane I got that but it's very up close and it feels like claustrophobic and like trapped too but something I noticed because I saw them handing out pillows and blankets on the plane and I was like yeah everyone's sleeping how are we how are we seeing them why are they not dark and I noticed they have that fucking the book reading light on and that's how we're able to see them so well Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking in terms of like, I don't know, both film analysis, but like l- real life, like if you think of like being on a red eye and like a dark plane and having that light on you, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> first off, those lights are obnoxious because they're so fucking yeah. bright. And it's also like, who is that? Who's sitting there? Um, so it's a red eye, let me sleep. Yeah. I think it reinforced that kind of like vulnerability thing or like on the spot idea as well as just being a, a good a good wage to just have fucking light to see the actors. Yeah. Another thing I want to touch on is like, I know we talked about the misogyny in this movie, mm-hmm. um, but when she touches like the flight attendant light above them because she like, when he first reveals like, oh, I've been stalking you and this is my big plan. Um, You know, she immediately goes to alert the flight attendant and like, she doesn't even seem like she's, I mean, at least from like a viewer's perspective, she doesn't seem like she's drunk, but the flight attendant says like, what? I wrote down like he keeps, or she alludes to her being drunk or like he like brings up her drinking. Yeah. And she like, never she seemed drunk pretty, to me. Yeah, she seemed pretty level-headed. And, um, you know, even the flight attendant, she says, oh, she probably just wants another drink. LOL. <laughs> and it's like, that's how- a drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just feel like that's another way, like as many times in society, we blame the woman. You mm-hmm. know, oh, she had something to drink. What was she wearing? Um, did she bring this on herself in some way? That's a good point. That makes that 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 yeah, that makes sense as why they would they were kind of shoehorning that. And I did think it felt shoehorned in, but in regards to what you just said, it makes sense why it was in there to kind of reinforce that theme or idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, when they're in the bathroom, when she says, um, when she writes on the yeah, so and so has bomb. 
that that's when it gets physical and he's slamming her around and then he brings up i di- i didn't understand why he brought up he said like he said tells her like she's not that honest either and like he's been following her however long and he hasn't seen her order anything but a fucking babies yeah i don't did you <laughs> did you understand i mean i think it's just trying to re- reiterate that the fact that he's been stalking her for so long. Like he says right there, like I've been following you for eight weeks and I haven't seen you order anything but a sea breeze or whatever. Sea breeze, bay breeze. Yeah. Um, I think that's just supposed to be another level of intimidation and just this threatening persona that he has in this movie. Cause that's terrifying. You've been watching me for eight weeks. You know what I drink. You've watched me order drinks. Like- <gasps> Ooh, oh, okay. Two things. Remind me to come back to that specific part, but he knows what she drinks. And in the beginning, he plays that game with her. Exactly. And he acts like he doesn't know, but he still gets so close to what it is. No, he says sea breeze. And she's like, no, it's a bay breeze, actually, because she's like trying to, you know, oh, you, you don't know me very well. Oh, so he did get it right. Yeah. Oh. And she orders a bay breeze instead of a sea breeze. And he's like, what the fuck? (laughs) 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 No, I know what you drink. (laughs) (laughs) That's spooky. I never caught that part. Oh, fuck. Um, Okay. So the part I wanted to come back to was he, he talks about her being honest, though. And that's the part that was confusing me. The, the intimidation part I get, um, but I, I guess I'm just stuck on. I think, I think he says you weren't being honest when you ordered the Bay Breeze because I've seen you drink so many, I've seen you only seen you order sea breezes. Oh. So you weren't honest with me when you ordered the Bay Breeze. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So it's almost like him like retracting his trust that he was lending her. I don't know if you remember that that line he says like okay you can go to the bathroom I trust you and then he's yeah no definitely (laughs) I don't know if he ever trusted her yeah okay that makes sense but we see her you know even though you know she's been through all of these really awful traumatic experiences she's able to to think throughout this movie she's able to you know the the book that she lends that woman the Dr. Phil book and she writes in it like help and um you know she was able to think that through and then going to the bathroom and putting soap on the mirror like 18F has a bomb to try to like help herself you know when he goes in there and is like slamming her up against the walls and stuff like that she kind of in a way accepts this is a situation that I you know, nobody's helping me, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. And there's nobody here who's listening. There's nobody here who's, you know, paying attention to what's happening. And I think, you know, she kind of accepts this defeat and you see her, you know, when she's sitting in her chair, she's just kind of zoned out. Um, and then she goes into full-fledged fight mode she decides to take it all into her own hands. You know, nobody's paying attention. Nobody's going to help me. I have to do this myself. And she does. 
I mean, she stabs him in the neck. She, you think you know, she runs decided the in the bathroom when he was slamming her around? Is do you think that's when she decided? I like I have to stab this guy pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think like there was like this feeling of defeat mm-hmm. that kind of transformed into you know, I need to help myself. I need to take this into my own hands. And then you can see like the adrenaline's pumping. She's running through the airport. Cillian Murphy's Just like in a slasher. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, okay. So so when she stabs him, like I think the stabbing in the neck is like a very specific spot. Not only do we get the like beautiful wheezing from his voice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. but it's almost like like her voice was silenced or something and it was her like switching it back to like like hindering his voice yeah yeah I like that and so I guess that's when I'm wondering like like he's he's choking her out in the bathroom for like a moment and that's I I think that's why I I was wondering like do you think that's when she decided like I have to take drastic measures and this is a quick sure way to do it because we never see her grab the pen she just like leans down at the end and then we're like oh shit she got the pen (laughs) Weren't they like having some turbulence going down and the kid loses the pen and it just kind of falls forward? Uh, That absolutely could have happened. (laughs) I don't remember. In my head, I don't know. Um, I don't know when that decision was made for this character, but I'm glad it it was. (laughs) (laughs) And like, we see her, you know, in the beginning, obviously like her relationship to her work and to her family, like she's a very workaholic Mm -hmm. um, dealing with these, these hotel guests who are very entitled and (laughs) um, very needy. And, um, you know, then we see her come full circle you know, she goes back to the hotel after saving her dad and Cillian Murphy dies. And, um, you know, those two guests from the beginning are like, our stay was terrible. <laughs> like there is a hole in our ceiling. We can't even believe this vacation. <laughs> and she's like, you know what? You can fill out a common card and shove it up your ass. <laughs> like That fully shows like her kind of leaving that people pleasing um mentality coming for full circle and asserting her boundaries and asserting Mm -hmm. herself and you know valuing herself and the way that you know people treat her she's like i'm not putting up with (laughs) these fucking people anymore um and then her and cynthia go to the bar and it's not even noon which (laughs) given the circumstances (laughs) i get it (laughs) but the movie ends on (laughs) anything but a babies (laughs) it's so fucking stupid it's like I'll take a whiskey neat (laughs) Uh, how do you feel about that last line (laughs) because my it's so 
it's so fucking like cheeky yeah she like I can't even be mad at it it's so fucking stupid that I love it yeah throughout <laughs> the movie I think it it moves further and further into camp territory mm-hmm. um and <laughs> yeah I mean that was an intense movie if you're gonna end it on a positive note I mean why not <laughs> <laughs> And that's actually how I, um, again, relating this back to Scream, because Scream gets, especially the first one with um, Stu, Matthew Lillard's character, his character goes like bonkers, Mm -hmm. and it almost goes into camp territory, where it's like, this isn't a real person, but it rides that edge, like it never goes fully there, so it still feels grounded, and I thought this movie did that too. Yeah. Um, and okay, so she trips like leaving the the uh, airport or running mm-hmm. down just like in a slasher. But then the movie, I thought this ending, the ending was a full on like scream movie, like running around the house and there's a killer chasing her in the house and like hiding behind doors and then like popping out behind doors. And mm-hmm. and then it like deals like, is the dad dead? Where's the dad? Just like in Scream. And so that's how I relate it most um, back to Scream. Um, But there's this one point where she says, um, like, where's your male-driven logic now, Jack? Yeah. And and at this point, he's, like, so impulsive and, like, sloppy. Oh, yeah. He's lost control of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to, like... (laughs) it's personal now which was scary at first but now it's almost like an advantage to her because I guess she's been rooted in this kind of mindset the whole time whereas he has just lost control yeah Um, she's like you're in my house now (laughs) something I liked and if you have any idea I would love your input um in the scream episodes i talk a bit about the knife as the phallic weapon in horror movies in this it took me like a good minute to realize what she took out of her closet as a weapon <laughs> i thought it was a cane no oh, it's a cane yeah it's not a cane oh what is it <laughs> If you pay attention, her trophies in the pictures, she played field hockey. <laughs> oh, oh so it's not a hockey stick. It's a field hockey stick. I thought it was a fucking umbrella at one point. Yeah, I thought it was a cane. <laughs> it's a field hockey stick. So, and it definitely is because there's the pictures, the trophies, but she even like slap shots the knife away from him. Like yeah. with with, <laughs> with the <laughs> hockey stick. And I, I guess I'm wondering, like, okay, so there's that word like slap shot or like slap away, or like, you know, it's a good like defense thing or weapon or symbol for a weapon. Um I guess do you have any idea on that fucking that dichotomy of the knife and a field hockey? Like as opposing weapons? Um that's a great question. <laughs> I I don't know. I really I don't see the significance in that other than like 
she has experience using a hockey stick, obviously. <laughs> and like, she feels comfortable. She had it in her closet. <laughs> That's true. And Go I guess anything <laughs> that you would read into it, I just said in that one part where she's able to slap the knife away. Um, her dad comes in at the last second to save her. I know. I know after, you know, the whole movie where she's trying to get help from everyone else. And, you know, her dad is constantly asking her in the beginning, like, are you okay? You know, I want to be there for you, but she's not receptive to that, Mm -hmm. you know, that sentiment, but like, you know, he comes in and he, he saves her at the end, Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of beautiful you know, her not being able to count on anybody to intervene in this situation. And finally her dad, who I don't want to say she's been like rejecting his care and support, but she just hasn't been receptive to it. And I think it's kind of beautiful that he comes in and and saves her at the end. I would agree. I I was conflicted, I think for a while. And I thought like, oh, like the male savior, like, okay, like that's not very Wes Craven of you. Wes but, but it's like someone who loves and cares about her and yeah like, yeah she's, when like, she's forced to like accept his help his he's you know yeah I get what I, I get what you're saying she has I, this support that she hasn't been receptive to this whole movie I was conflicted about the male savior thing but when you frame it as like no it's her dad like loving her and caring for her and her finally accepting that that surpasses justifying it like you said it's that's a beautiful sentiment I I would agree with that okay so yeah I I do like that then (laughs) (laughs) well any final thoughts anything that we didn't get into that you wanted to um yeah so I just the one thing that really bothers me is that yeah I just I just don't understand I understand it's a movie I do I don't (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) what how does all of this shit happen and no one on the plane notices anything (laughs) except for this little 11 year old girl who sees the absolute bare minimum and like she's like yeah something's going on here like just because (laughs) She sees him looking at her when she goes into the bathroom Mm -hmm. and she's the one who like pushes the suitcase. So he trips (laughs) and she's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, I think the girl's name is. Is it? I don't know. And I was kind of like, what purpose does she serve to be in this movie other than a cute little girl? Like, yeah, I don't know. She's the only one who is paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> there is that thing. And I, I, I don't know if I'd relate it back to me being younger and like my experience in the wake of 9-11 and like flying and it being scary. Also, why are you sending that little girl flying just a couple years after 9-11? That's fucked up. Justice for Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's also like, maybe it's this kind of notion of adults pretending like things aren't what they are you know and kids kids notoriously have no fucking filter so they call things out or notice things as they are that's my only read into that and to what you're saying about how does no one notice I'm gonna argue again that it's a red eye the movie's called (laughs) red eye and everyone was sleeping Uh, (laughs) 
Let him nap. Let him take a nap. It's a long flight. <laughs> it's actually really not a long flight. It's barely a red eye. She's flying from Texas to Florida. Oh my God. What is that? Three hours? Yeah. <laughs> red eye my ass. Yeah. And airplane phones. Ew. God. Looks like a little microwave in their seat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anytime you introduce like technology into a movie, it's going to date itself. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I loved it. I loved it, honestly. I, yeah, I didn't mind it. And I think that it's a nice kind of nostalgia thing, kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I like, I like watching like older movies and the technology back then. Like, I have a weird thing. I mean, a lot of people have a thing for, um, what's it called the fucking rotary phone record record player oh record player (laughs) i was just spinning my finger in a circle (laughs) what's that thing called (laughs) like this Uh, yeah like seeing that like in old like 60s movies or yeah the rotary phones like i love seeing those in movies so i mean this this technology is a little too new to like have any sort of like real nostalgia or like oh wow that's fascinating towards it because it looks so fucking clonky and stupid and i just think of the germs on it oh my god yeah (laughs) when she's on the phone and like she she like drags the phone across her face and i'm like wash your face (laughs) just smeared other people's germs all over your face Uh, i know (laughs) crawl into her mouth Um, (laughs) i'm gonna wet that um all right did you have fun did you like yeah. it yeah have fun thank cool. you thank you for having me thank you for coming on I'm glad you had fun hopefully that means that you'll come back yeah sure huh all right <laughs> <laughs> okay then I won't come back <laughs> no 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 come back come back I told Adrian after when we recorded a couple weeks ago, we got into like why I decided to do this and I didn't record it. So now I'm going to tell you so it makes sense and people understand. I'm not a very outspoken person. I mean, if I'm close with you, like the five friends I have, then yeah, I'll talk. But even when it's about opinions or stuff like on music movies, like I'll give like my quick opinion and like a quick note or two, but I'm not going to sit there and discuss all of my feelings about something with someone because like, who's got time for that? And that's just not how I am. But I think, you know, movies or anything that you you like, you have a lot of feelings about things and you got to get those feelings out. And I think this platform gives me and whoever I'm talking to, um, it's a great way to explore those things and dissect them and get those things out instead of just keeping, you know, things up in your head. Um, and so in this way, it's almost like I'm talking or saying what I feel should be said and whoever is a guest can say what they need to say. And it's for people who want to listen and not forcing people to listen. And so I think that's a healthy thing to do. And I've been enjoying doing it. And I'm glad you had fun. Thanks for listening. Any final notes? I'm just, I'm excited to be a guest. I mean, 
You've been my best friend for almost 18 years. And we've talked about like, what would we do if we (laughs) started a podcast? Um, But I don't know. I'm proud of you. And I'm proud to be a part of this journey for you. And it sounds like it has kind of a, a therapeutic purpose in a way for you. And in that, in that way, I think it's, it's beautiful. And yeah. You guys hear that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Say bye. Bye. I was listening to podcasts, trying to get you to listen to podcasts. And you were like, I don't know, when am I ever like going to listen to podcasts? Like I just listen to music. Podcasts are stupid. And I was like, Sumner, stop. (laughs) Okay. Because I think, I think I remember your dad listening to podcasts when we were younger and they always talk like this. (laughs) No, it's probably just listening to NPR or something. (laughs) Yeah. That's literally, it was NPR. And that's what I, all I thought podcasts were were just oh. NPR yeah, talk shows. <laughs> yeah um oh quite a bit huh yeah that was years ago now and now it's my parents who thinks that's what podcasts are I'm like <laughs> no you don't get it and now I'm you from a few yeah, years yeah. ago and I said stop being stupid <laughs> <I'll> circle <laughs> <laughs> kind of want to like go back to her character arc yeah a little bit actually can I go pee really quick yeah I trust you